Well, it's great to be back with you, New City, uh, across all of our campuses and online today. You're uh, just so welcomed in being here, and we hope you feel that. Uh, we're so excited to have each of you joining us today. I was in Atlanta two weeks ago preaching, and last week we took our entire team up to the Billy Graham Training Center to, to be together, to continue to learn to, to, to live and, and lead together. And I brought a picture to show you this great-looking team on the back porch there of the Billy Graham Training Center. If you've ever been up to the Cove, it's an awesome place, and uh, we really enjoyed our time. So thanks for letting us be away and continue to learn together and lead together. Uh, we got one sunny day there on Saturday. The Lord sort of kissed us with a sunny day. It was 60 degrees, and then it went back to, back to raining. But we had a great time together, and again, thanks so much for letting us be away. I want to thank Stephen and Seth and Ryan for great messages the last two weeks. I was able to go online and listen to each of them. They did an awesome job. And it's a reminder, if you've missed a message in this series, um, you can find them on our website. You can download them and, and listen wherever you grab your podcast. It's a great thing to be able to keep up with the series we've been in, entitled Witness. We've been looking at the first five chapters in the book of Acts, in this series entitled Witness, and we want to continue that today. And let me just take a step back and remind you of sort of the, the bottom line for the entire series, and that is that the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, is Luke's documentation of Jesus' declaration. The book of Acts is Luke's documentation of Jesus' declaration. And what was his declaration? What was given in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18? I will build my church... And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And the book of Acts is an orderly account, a documentation of that great declaration that Jesus made that his church, his church would advance and the gates of hell would not stand against it. So we're going to continue the series today by looking at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47 specifically. And I want to encourage you, wherever you are, to open up your text to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. This is the last passage in the second chapter of the book of Acts. Let me read it to you. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and the fellowship, and the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The word of God to you today. Let's pray together. God, we're thankful to, to be together to worship you, to honor you, to glorify you. And we pray today that our fears and our pride would be shocked with your truth. May you remind us who you are and may your word do what it always has done. May it encourage us and correct us. May it bring us back to the truth of who we are. It's in Jesus' name that I ask this. Amen. The movie Cast Away was a blockbuster hit. Many of you remember it. 
It was released in the year 2000. This was a moment for me this week when I thought about this illustration where I thought, boy, I'm getting old. I thought that this movie was like seven or eight years old. It's 19 years old. Released in the year 2000, the film depicts, many of you will remember, it depicts a FedEx employee played by Tom Hanks who's marooned on an uninhabited island after his plane crashes in the South Pacific. And the movie chronicles his his many and various attempts to survive on the island using the remnants of his plane's cargo. If you never saw the movie Castaway, but you're a Lost fan, if you were a Lost fan, the TV series, the TV series Lost was based on the movie Castaway. Tom Hanks won several awards for this movie, mostly because he was on the screen alone for almost two hours in the movie. Well, almost alone. He had someone else with him, a person, or really not a person, a personification of himself named Wilson. Uh, Wilson was created by Tom Hanks, and many people think it was his alter ego while he was on the island to keep him company, if you will. Our family watched the movie a couple of nights ago, and uh, I want to give a little spoiler alert. I don't know if it, if it still counts uh, as a spoiler alert after 19 years if you haven't seen the movie, but uh, after uh, making Wilson and Wilson becoming Tom Hanks' friend when, he, when he's on that deserted island, uh, when he escapes the island, Wilson uh, floats away into the ocean, and there's that scene where the, the music comes up, and he's floating away, and, and you just feel this sadness, right? And even watching it a couple nights ago, I, I, my eyes begin to tear up, and it's all over a, a volleyball, but you, you begin to build this connection as Tom Hanks and his, his character built the connection. And, and it really reminds us of this important truth that's given in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. It was the first thing in the Bible that God said wasn't good. Even before the fall in Genesis 3, the Lord said it's not good for man to be alone. And we're reminded of that in this illustration and this, this depiction of, of, of Wilson, this understanding that even in his loneliness and, and being on this deserted island that he created community. It wasn't good for him to be alone. He needed someone or something to talk to. Uh, when, when we left services this weekend, one of my, my youngest uh, child, Faith, said, is Wilson going to have to sleep by himself in the church? And we had to bring Wilson home last, last night to sleep with us in the house because they didn't want Wilson to have to sleep in the, in the church by himself. They, they were connected to him just by watching the move, movie. Again, we're reminded of this important truth through this illustration that, that we're not created to, to live in isolation. There's no such thing as as a lone ranger in Christianity. People need connection. Each of us needs connection with one another. And unless you're on a deserted island like Tom Hanks, Wilson isn't gonna be enough for you. You weren't created to live by yourself. And most of you probably don't have a volleyball that you carry around with you, hopefully not. But what Wilson represents, maybe you do carry with you. That is a substitute for authentic community, a substitute for a personal relationship with other people. And in the absence of that, we'll create it because here's the deal, guys. We need community. God wired us up to live in relationship and community with other people. And when we don't have it, we'll create a substitute for it. It might be a substance. It it might be social media, 
We live in a, a day and age where, where we're so connected and yet, and yet isolationism and loneliness is rampant across, across our country. Why? Because social media and being connected is no substitute for a personal relationship. And so I don't know what those substitutes might be for you, what your quote-unquote Wilson might be, but it'll never be enough because it's not what God created you for. God created you for life-on-life community with other people. And here's the good news. Jesus didn't just give us the gift of himself. He gave us the gift of one another, his church. He didn't just give us the gift of himself. He gave us the gift of the church, of one another. And that's what we're created for. And in in our passage that we're looking at today in Acts chapter 2, we see something happening here. In the context, we see the church exploding Just before our passage today in verse 41, the Bible says that 3,000 souls were added to the number of the church after Peter's message. And and what's interesting is immediately following this explosive growth in the church, 3,000 people being added to the church in one day, immediately following that narrative is this passage of scripture about community. Isn't that interesting? I, I would think that it would be reversed. That when it was just 120 of us and we could fit into one room, we experienced community and there'd be a a passage of scripture about, about the fellowship of believers before the explosive growth. When we were small, we could be together, we could know each other, we could know one another's name, but, but then all of these people came and we, we lost connection with each other. But that's not the order in the Bible. We see this explosive growth happen in verse 41, and then immediately following that in verse 42 uh, and afterwards, we see this, this passage about community and fellowship. And here's something that we learned that we, that we need to learn as a church together across all of our campuses, that biblical community is not a byproduct of numbers. It's the byproduct of intentionality. Look at the first four words in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 with me. And they devoted themselves. It doesn't say, and the apostles figured it all out. And the church staff arranged everything just so, so everyone could be connected and experience community. It's not what it says. And all the connection cards and bulletins were just printed in the right way and turned in, and so we all experienced community. And the pastor, that's not what it says. And they devoted themselves. Don't don't you know that the, the 120 The original disciples who were in that upper room in chapter 1 and and in chapter 2, don't you know that that they must have thought that that, that something changed and they must have felt that? It used to be just us, 120. We could could know each other. We knew everybody's name. We were in one room together. But now, now the church is 3,000 plus and we can't be together in one room. When we look at our text today, we'll see that they had to begin to meet in homes all across the city because they couldn't fit in one home anymore. And and don't you know that those original 120 must have felt some sort of loss, the loss of intimacy and connection and, and being with one another in that way. And yet we don't read about that at all. The text goes right into their devotion to one another, their devotion to something beyond themselves. And I think that's very profound for us to see. This passage is known as the fellowship of the believers, if you're looking at your text. And that word fellowship comes from the Greek word koinonia. One of its definitions is the the word participation. And I think that's exactly what we see here. 
Christianity is not a spectator sport. It's a, it's a place where we all participate and devote ourselves to something beyond ourselves. That's what the church is. George Barna, when he asked a group of Americans, if there's anything that helps people grow in their faith, it's interesting to note that the local church in the answers didn't crack the top 10. Moreover, 50% of Christ followers when asked didn't know whether the local church had any effect on their faith or not. Shocking. More and more people today in our culture are saying yes to spirituality and even to Jesus, but are saying no to one another and the church. But Jesus didn't just give us the gift of himself. He gave us the gift of one another, the gift of the local church. And so the church can't just be a a club for religious people. The church is a family for forgiven people. Let me say that again. The church was never designed to be a club for religious people with a secret passcode and and word that you had to say or you had to look just the right way or just be, be the right way. No, it's a family. It's a collection of people, every tribe, tongue, and nation forgiven because of Jesus. If God is our father, let me say it a different way. If God is our father because of our relationship with Jesus, then look around the room today across all of our campuses. If God is our father, then we're brothers and sisters, a family of forgiven people. The phrase one another occurs 58 different times in the New Testament. You think that's important? We need one another. There is no such thing as an only child in the family of God. And as people, as people, here's the challenge, we tend to hide. This goes all the way back to the original sin in Genesis 3. When Adam and Eve uh, partook partook of the the fruit, the forbidden fruit, and sin entered into the world, what did they do? When, When God came walking into the garden, what did they do? They hid. And they covered themselves. And we hide. And we cover ourselves. And we stay out of community and intimacy with one another. And our culture encourages this. But oftentimes, watch this, oftentimes the, th- the same things that I struggle with in my relationship with other people are the same things that I struggle with in my relationship with God and vice versa. The same things I struggle with in my relationship with God are oftentimes the same thing that I struggle in my relationship with other people. And what's incredible, ironically, is that same besetting sin or sins that keeps me from b- biblical community is the same thing or sin that could be changed and transformed in the context of biblical community. If I struggle to be honest with God, guess who else I struggle to be honest with? Each of you. Don Miller said it this way in his book, Blue Like Jazz. Living in community made me realize one of my faults. I was addicted to myself. Well said. Left unto ourselves, we will choose ourselves. I am my drug of choice. And we miss something that God created for us. The gift of one another. The word here in verse 42 as we look at this glimpse of true biblical community in our passage today, 
The word in 40, verse 42, the word devoted means radical unselfishness in the Greek. The early church gave up their addiction of self and replaced it with a radical unselfishness for one another. It is the answer, it is the antidote to our selfishness, to our pride, to our inward focus. And what is it that the early disciples were devoted to? What was it that the, the, the church replaced their selfishness with this, un, this radical unselfishness? What were they devoted to? Well, let's come back to the text and walk through it together. First of all, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, the Bible says. The apostles' teaching in verse 42 here represents what Jesus had taught his disciples for three plus years when he was among them, but also during the 40 days that we learned in chapter 1 that he presented himself to them, offering them teachings and many proofs of his resurrection. In other words, they devoted themselves to the truth of God, to the word of God. And no local church today can be healthy unless it gathers together to be devoted to the teaching and the understanding of God's word. The way that we say it here is that we want to be stirred by the scriptures. We want to be stirred by the scriptures together in a common way. We want to be stirred by the the scriptures in, in our community groups. We want to be stirred by the scriptures individually. And it takes all of those. As we hear the preaching of the word, as we pay attention and discuss the the word of God together in community, and as we study the word of God and we devote ourselves to the truth of God together. And certainly the early church models that for us, their radical unselfishness and devotion to the word of God. But also they were devoted to, the Bible says, the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And we see this played out in verses 42 through 46. First of all, the fellowship represented not only the community itself, but also the action of fellowship, the act of of being together and experiencing community with one another. In this, we see their commitment to each other because community requires commitment. You can have a connection, you can have contacts with a lot of people without a lot of commitment. You can scroll through your phone today and see all of your contacts, and a lot of those folks you don't have an overwhelming commitment to. But community, true community, what we're seeing here on these pages in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, requires commitment and faithfulness. Jen and I were able to visit one of our great community groups this week and experience what they experience on a weekly basis together. We, we had a meal together. Uh, we came around the Word of God together. We were able to sit in a circle and experience and share life together. And one of the things that w- one of the members of the group said that I, that I took away was, was that the, the, the group took almost two years to gel together. And when we got in the car and we drove away, I said to Jen, you know, we give up, we together give up on community far too quickly. It took them almost two years to really connect together, to build trust with one another. That takes commitment. Sometimes people have looked at this passage, particularly verse 46, and this fellowship that they have with one another, and they've used it as a basis to to prove communism. That's not what was happening here at all. This wasn't early communism. Communism is where the government prescribes what you have to do. There is no private property. We see private property here, and we see it all throughout the New Testament. This wasn't the government telling this group of people what they had to do. 
This is a group of people out of their glad and generous hearts offering to one another what they had for the common good. A very big difference, I think you would agree. I had the chance to be in Cuba many years ago before the embargo was lifted. That was communism, seeing people suffering and struggling. The government gave them enough uh, to, uh, every month to, to last about seven or eight days, and then the rest of the month they were on their own. And our team said with each other, capitalism is alive and well in Cuba, and the government doesn't even know it. Because for the other 22 or 23 days of the month, every person had to survive on their own. And, and, and had to, to practice this common good with one another, to take care of one another. This was not communism here. This is generosity, radical generosity for the common good. But not only that, the scripture reminds us here that they were sharing meals together. They were share, share, sharing a table together. The, the, the word that's used here in, in the, the Hebrew is sup. It's where we get our word Supper. To sup with someone was a very intimate and sacred experience. It wasn't a 30-minute in-and-out type transactional deal like many of us experience around our meals today. This was several hours at a table, being with one another, sharing a meal together, sharing life with one another, sharing stories with each other, and we need to recapture that together as a church and as a people, being together over a meal. But it was also sharing the Lord's table which we'll share together today across our campuses. And then finally here, they were praying together, the scripture tells us. They they were not only going to the temple to, to pray together, but they were praying in homes all across the city. And if you wanna get to know somebody, if you wanna live in community with people, you've gotta pray together. When you begin to pray for other people, your heart is opened up towards other people. You begin to understand their life. You begin to walk in their shoes. You begin to live not just for yourself, but for other people. And I I wonder today how many of you have a prayer list in your Bible? How many of you have an index card that you carry with you with different names and, and things that you're praying for for other people? I wanna challenge all of us to begin to do so to pray for a group of people. And if you, if you pray for a group of people, you have to know those people. You have to take the time to ask, what can I pray for you about? You have to follow up, how is that going? How can I continue to pray for you? And what a gift that is, I think you would agree with me. The early church was, was living together in this way. They were fellowshipping together, they were connecting with each other, they were sharing meals together, they were praying for one another. A great model for us of what true biblical community really is. And then finally, not only were they devoted to the apostles' teaching and and breaking bread together and fellowship and and praying together, but they were also devoted to praising God. The scripture says here in verse 47, the first part of verse 47, that they were praising God. And the praise of God is always the outflow of experiencing God in our own hearts. We talk about here that we want to be a church that brings gospel renewal to our city and to our world. And that begins with us first, amen? Amen. It begins with us first. And when we experience gospel renewal, which another word for renewal is revival. When we experience the revival of God, the renewal of the gospel in our own hearts, it overflows in praise. It always results in the praise of God. And that's what we see happening here in the early church. As they were devoted to the apostles' teaching and breaking of bread and fellowship and prayer, out of all of their devotion to God and to one another overflowed this praise of God that other people paid attention to. 
And they were having favor, the Bible says here in verse 47, with all people. All means all, and that's all, all means. All people. In other words, it wasn't just the 3,000 plus inside the church. It was people outside the church that were being affected by this radical community, this devotion to one another, this, this unselfishness. And that's how it should be for us as well. People in our city who don't attend church should be affected by the church and its radical unselfishness to God and to one another. Uh, someone once said, would anyone notice if your church packed up in the middle of the night like the cults did and moved away, would anybody else notice other than people who attend the church, would the city notice? Would the community notice? And I pray that they would. That people who don't even attend our churches yet would say, our city was better because the church was here. We saw something in these people that was different and it inspired us to live a different way. That maybe there's more to life than just ourselves and our own selfishness. They were praising God and they were having favor with all people. This biblical community was being evidenced in their witness to others. Judaism can never break its racial bonds and include other people. Greek and Roman philosophies never won allegiance from the masses. But Christianity gloried in its appeal for all people. It gloried in its appeal to all people, Jew and Gentile, Greek and Roman, male and female, poor and rich, educated, uneducated, Democrats, Republicans, Tar Heels, Blue Devils, all people, all people. Why? Why? Because Jesus came for all people. And his offer is to all people. And part of that offering was not just the gift of himself, but the gift of one another, the gift of true community that each and every one of us were wired for. And so here's something incredible to notice about our passage today, about the fellowship of believers, this biblical community that God calls each of us to experience. If you look at verse 42, it begins with those four words, and they devoted themselves. But look at verse 47 and how the passage ends. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. If you're able to circle in your Bible or highlight it on your phone, highlight in verse 42, and they devoted themselves, those first four words, and then highlight or underline these last words in verse 47. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. In other words, here's what the church did. The church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread, to prayers and praising God. And here's what God did, which is what only God can do, because salvation belongs to the Lord. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The Lord continued to add to the church as they were devoted to true biblical community. And this is a wonderful example and model for each of us today here at New City. We want to devote ourselves to biblical community, to radical unselfishness, to exactly what is described here in Acts chapter 2 verses 42 through 47. And we want to trust Jesus to build his church his church, not our church, to build his church, a church that he promised, he promised that the gates of hell would not prevail against.
Here's the bottom line. Here's the bottom line for each and every one of us across all of our campuses today. Wilson isn't enough. He's not enough. He never will be. Whatever you're substituting pure biblical community for, it'll never be enough. This is what God designed you for. This will never do. So I don't know what this represents in your life, something that you're substituting true biblical community for, but my plea, my call, God's call to you is to give up your devotion to self and to step into this incredible devotion to one another, this radical unselfishness that changed the world and changed every believer who was a part of it. As a church, we wanna be a place where no one walks alone. Where no one walks alone. Remember, biblical community is not a byproduct of numbers. This was a mega church that we saw here in Acts chapter two very quickly. And yet they experienced radical community with each other because they devoted themselves and they were intentional to it. Let's be a church where no one walks alone, where we, where we participate. We don't just spectate, but we participate in the kingdom of God and his work in and through the local church. Here's my call to action for each of us today, the application of the message today. The first is if you're not experiencing the type, this type of biblical community in your own life, I wanna encourage you to step out and participate in it through this church. The easiest way for that to happen is to come to our next step class. There's a lot of ways to get connected here, but the easiest way for that to happen across all of our campuses is to come to our next step class. We do it at the end of every single month to connect people. And if you're in that place where you're not experiencing biblical community right now, or maybe you were, but the group ended and you're in between, I wanna encourage you to come. It happens on March 31st. You can register before you leave campus today or you can register online. We'd love to see you there. It's the easiest way to get connected. If you can't be there this month, guess what? We're gonna do it again next month. The final weekend of every month and we're gonna do it again and we're gonna do it again and again and again and again until every single person in our church is connected. And here's the second application. Some of you, this is your season to lead. As you hear a radical biblical community being described, you better believe that there had to be leaders of each of these groups, each of these home gatherings. There had to be people who facilitated that, who were a part of that and leading that. And we need leaders here at New City. We need people who will lead other people in community. Not perfect people, not people that know all the answers, but willing people who will lead others. And so if that's your season, if God's calling you to lead a community group of some kind here at New City, we want to encourage you to take a step out in that. Here's the easiest way for that to happen today. I know this is a little unorthodox, but it's a great way for us to get you connected across all of our campuses. Uh, up on your screen right now is a number, and I want to encourage you to write it down. And you can text the word groups to us, and you'll be added to a leadership list. This isn't obligating you to lead forever, okay? It's not. What we're, what we're saying today is that you're going to be added to a list that we can follow up with as a church and as leadership to help train you and equip you and, and place you in leadership sometime during this year with other people. If that's the call of God in your life, if you've been in community, if you've been discipled and you're ready to lead, or even if you don't feel like you are ready to lead, but you're, you're being called by God this morning, I want to encourage you to take a step. And this is the step. You can text groups to this number. You'll be added to a list and we'll follow up with you this week about leading a group sometime this year at New City. Let's pray together.
God, thank you for this example that we see through your word today of what true community is meant to be. In many ways, it stands in stark contrast to all the the cheap substitutes that, that oftentimes we're tempted to put in its place. But would you today, God, begin to move in our hearts and and move us towards what we see on the pages of Scripture today and away from the substitutes that our culture gives us for community? Would you help us to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to all of your truth, to prayer, to community, to meals and fellowship with one another, to praising God, to serving others and having favor with all people in our city and around the world. Fill our hearts today with radical unselfishness and steadfast love for you and for others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.